Good to see you. It's nice not to preach and sing to a, uh, a room of cameras. So I am very happy that you're here. Uh, I want to jump right in. Ephesians. Uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians over the last several weeks. That's what we're doing over the course of this summer. And uh, this morning we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to really, really, really take a bird's eye view of the first 10 verses. I wish that we could spend weeks in just these... 10 verses, but um, we're not able to do that, and so um, we're just going to kind of bottom line uh, some of the, uh, we're going to cluster some of these verses together, I'm going to bottom line it, and by God's grace, um, we will um, see Christ more clearly. Uh, if you remember last week, uh, we, we really, we come, we're coming off of the Apostle Paul um, teaching us about the supremacy of of Christ Jesus in the previous section in Ephesians, and I'll read that to you in a moment. But, but um, the Apostle Paul is asserting, and we confess as Christians, that Jesus is, is seated at the right hand of God. He's above all rule. He's above all authority, all power, all dominion. He's above every name and everything that's, uh, and everything that's created In heaven, on earth, under the earth, everything is under the reign of Christ. In Jesus, we come this morning and we confess that Jesus Christ is is the head of his church. So Paul, he's reminding the church of Ephesus exactly how things are. And the things that were true for Ephesus are the things that are true for us 2,000 years later. Jesus has absolute authority. He has authority, again, in heaven. He has authority on earth. He has authority under the earth. And then we come to chapter 2 here, and I'm going to read the first 10 verses, and like I said, we'll make some observations, but, but this, um, this section on the authority of Christ, it, it, it bleeds right into chapter 2 here where the Apostle Paul says, and starting with verse 1, "...and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked." following the course of this world, following the the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And we could spend a lot of time just on those few verses. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In verse 4, the tone shifts, but... God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again as we're able to come, Lord, this time not through technology primarily, but as your gathered church, we're able to open your word and we're able to hear from you because these are your words. And so God, use your words 
to help us see Christ more clearly, to build us up, Lord, and we long for the day that we can worship you without any hindrances of sin and sorrow and suffering. Lord, now we see in a mere dimly, Lord, but that will pass away. So help us this morning as we look at your word. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, if you're taking notes, the first thing that I'd have you jot down, um, or you can certainly download the Coastal app and put it in there, or, um, but we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead in trespasses and sins. That's one of the things that we remember as we come uh, and have a time of confession of sin when we do our services. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. And, and again, because of the length of our service times, uh, I have to give you a bird's eye view here, but the that's the bottom line, especially for these first three verses here uh, that the Apostle Paul is working through. We were dead in trespasses and sins. All right, Paul's reminding Jew and Gentile Christians of their past. He was reminding them of their past. They were dead. We as Christians were dead. They're not dead anymore. Right, But that's who they were apart from Christ Jesus. That's who you and I are apart from Christ Jesus. Dead in trespasses, dead in sins. One theologian says it this way, when we forget who and what we are in Christ, we slowly lose our sense of love and gratitude to God for his saving love and grace uh, grace to us in Christ. And, And I would add that if we never consider who we were right, prior to God in Christ saving us, then we really do lose a sense of of gratitude for this great salvation that God in Christ Jesus has provided to us as a gift, freely, not of our own doing. It it takes a a great salvation, as the author of Hebrews uh, talks about, to rescue chief sinners, right? The Apostle Paul, before he was executed, thought of himself as a chief sinner. There was still a rhythm in his life of remembering who he was prior um, to Christ intervening in his life. And he looked on his past sins, not with a fondness, but it grieved him. And then it moved him to glory in the finished work of Christ Jesus, knowing that the gospel is far-reaching, that the gospel, that the blood of Jesus is more powerful uh, than sin in the life of a chief sinner, right? There's, there's no sin that makes you too far gone. There's no sin that makes you out of reach from the blood of Jesus Christ. It saves the chief of sinners. The New King, uh, King James Version takes the word were in verse 1 and explains it and captures, I think, Paul's intent better. So verse 1 would read in the NKJV, And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Right? Put, putting it this way, it, kinda, it, it makes the passage above about the authority and the supremacy of Christ even more relevant uh, to chapter 2 here. Listen to it in context now. If we were to read um, the, the latter part of verse 1, starting with verse 20, uh, which he, God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, 
and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then we get to chapter 2. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Right, church, Paul is saying that the Jesus who rules and who reigns at the Father's right hand, that Jesus has made you who were dead in trespasses and sins alive. That's what Paul's saying here. That ruling and reigning Jesus has authority to bring people who were spiritually dead alive and reconciled to the Father. Isn't that good news? That's really, really good news. And and there's three important words in verse 1 here that the Apostle Paul uses. He uses the word dead, which in the original language literally means lifeless or a corpse. He uses the word trespass, which means this false step or wrongdoing or or, uh, offense. And he uses the word sin, which is, um, many of you know, to miss the mark of God, to miss God's standard for holiness. And these words are important because what they do is they communicate to us, they remind us how comprehensive our separation from God really was. It communicates to us just how far um, depraved we were apart from the Lord uh, bringing us, drawing us to himself. God told Adam that this kind of death would happen if he took and he ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He tells him that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. And death, it was the consequence of Adam's rebellion, certainly physical death, but even more in view, even bigger than that, is spiritual death. If you've taken our membership class at Coastal, uh, I teach a section on being, uh, I kind of teach through some of our essentials, and, and one of our essentials has to do with uh, man's condition apart from the intervening work of the Lord. And, and uh, so if you've taken that class and you remember, you've heard me use this illustration about this passage before, but, but think of it this way. Your spiritual condition apart from the intervening work of God is likened to a corpse, that's what Ephesians 2.1 is, is communicating to us. We're, we're likened to a corpse, and a, and a corpse cannot bring itself uh, from the dead, even if we lay some defibrillators on the, the chest of the corpse and, and, and encourage it to bring itself back to life. A corpse, it not, only can, not only can it not bring itself from death to life, but a corpse doesn't even have a desire to come from death to life. It, it, it doesn't even want to. It doesn't, it doesn't have the desire to. And what Paul's communicating to us is that we're in that condition spiritually from the moment we were conceived, right? Because we've all inherited this sin nature from the first Adam. And, and the book of Genesis teaches us about that. But even things like David's confession, Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, that's the significance of these words, death, trespasses, sins. Adam, in the book of Genesis, he was our representative. He was our federal representative. And when he sinned, it affected every human being who's ever lived. 
right? Through Adam's representing us, we inherited a sin nature, and because of that sin nature, we sin. So if I put it another way, do, do we sin because we're sinners, or are we sinners because we sin? The answer, biblically speaking, is we sin because we're sinners. We're born into sin, and that's happened uh, since the first man, Adam, our representative, chose to disobey God's standard. So Paul's reminding us with very vivid language, dead, trespasses, sins, that, that we're utterly helpless if left to our own, right? We're doomed if left to our own. We're spiritually dead, and we need someone with authority over death to help us. We need someone with authority over trespasses to help us. We need someone with authority over sins to help us. Now, before we, we get to that, the second thing that we see even just in verse 3 is because of our sin, because that's our condition, we're enemies of God. Apart from the intervening work of the Holy Spirit, we were enemies of God. We were enemies of God. That's the way the, the Scripture puts it. It says in verse 3, and were by nature, by our very nature, we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We, we serve a holy God. And this holy God is in opposition to everything that's not holy. Sin is not holy. And we, apart from the Lord, are, are sinful to the core, right? We're not as sinful as we can be, but we're, we're thoroughly sinful. We're comprehensively sinful. And that, that puts a chasm between us and the Lord that puts us uh, in the place of being God's enemies, we're not rough around the edges. We aren't people who just make some mistakes here and there. We aren't well-intentioned. We aren't good people. That's not what the Scripture, it's not the, the, the way the Scripture des, de, describes us. The Scriptures say we're children of wrath. We're a people deserving of the full wrath of God for our sin. John Stott, a uh, old dead theologian, says it, he says it this way, such people like us are by nature get this blind to the glory of Jesus Christ and we're deaf to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Have no love for God, no sensitive awareness of His personal reality, no leaping of the Spirit toward Him in the cry, Abba, Father, and no longing for fellowship with His people. And think for a moment what being a, a, a child of wrath is. It's hell. It's hell. Right? We get pictures of hell in Scripture, pictures like the lake that burns with sulfur and fire. We see Jesus talk about eternal punishment, or the hell of fire, or the smoke of torment in Revelation, or the fiery furnace, or the weeping and gnashing of teeth, or the second death. The Scripture uses language like this to help us understand that hell is the unending wrath of God. It's the unending wrath of God, and it's the unending wrath of God being poured out on those who aren't in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be a child of wrath. All right, we may see 
hell depicted as, as best as we can this side of eternity with fiery flames. But, but nothing like that can capture the horror of being under the unending wrath of God for all eternity. And so this is, this is the torment that Jesus endured on the cross for you and me. The wrath of God. Yes, the, 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 the physical pain was agony, but it paled in comparison to the wrath of the Father being poured out on Jesus for my sin and for your sin. Right? That's, that's something that, that can't be captured. That's something that we, we can't even comprehend. And, and here's what Paul is reminding us this morning. Jesus, who has authority over death, and trespasses and sins took the wrath of God upon himself on the cross so that you and I would no longer be children of wrath. Let me say that again because that's really good news for us, right? Jesus, who has authority over death, trespasses and sins, took the wrath of God upon himself on the cross so that you and I would no longer be children of wrath. That's why we can gather here, isn't it? That's why we can sing even if our knees are wobbly, right? Even if we're scared of a sickness called COVID, we can come and we can sing because our souls long to be together. Our souls long to sing of the glories of the gospel and and have that wash over us so that we can be reminded anew that we're reconciled, that we're in good standing, not because of anything that we've done, but because God the Father is completely satisfied with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit has applied His perfect person and work to our lives for eternity. The final thing, right, if we're no longer children of wrath, what are we? We're sons and daughters. We're sons and daughters. So thankful for that type of language in the Word. The Lord saved us warmly. He saved us warmly. He made us a part of His family. That's what Paul is saying in verses 4 through 10, and there's attributes of God that he lists in there. He lists attributes like love and mercy and grace and kindness. Right? Paul, in a sense, has, has taken us by the hand and he's, he's helped us to remember this horrific state apart from God's intervention and now the sweetness of God's love and mercy and grace and kindness. It's, it's like this, this deep breath of fresh air, Right? When I wade through the, the, the first verses of this section, it, it reminds me, it, it's suffocating almost. It's suffocating to, to wade through. It's suffocating is, is a terrible way to die, not, not even being able to, to take a breath, not being able to take this deep breath into your lungs for your very life. We were dead in our trespasses and by nature children of wrath. End of story. That's suffocating. That's death. Reading that isolated from this back part is is anxiety-inducing. But God, right, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. 
the gift of God. It's not a result of your work. It's not a result of my works. Nobody can boast about it, for we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And there's this sweetness there. Right? Again, we can breathe. We can breathe in. We can breathe out. You were dead, and God's made you alive. And he's made me alive. Completely as a gift based on his own good, unchanging love, mercy, grace, and kindness. And because of that, we're a part of his family. We're sons and daughters. We're no longer orphans. And we're on the way home. We're on the way home together. We're on the way home to this place called the new heavens and the new earth where we're uh, busy uh, worshiping our Jesus who has authority over all things. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for just this reminder, Lord, we have to remember who we were so we can remember who we are. And so, Lord, we thank you for the finished work of Jesus. We thank you that your Holy Spirit has credited his person, his work to our lives. And we worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. Thank you, God, for allowing us together this morning. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.